welcome to the Nitty Gritty Reviews podcast. Today is the first Monday of the month, so that means it's another Marvel Monday. Today we're going to be talking about Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and I have here with me my co-host Tristan and a special guest co-host Brian. Hi. Hi, so this movie is directed by the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe Russo, and it is written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. And it is starring uh, a decent amount of people, but the uh, most important ones being Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, uh, Robert Redford as Alexander Pierce, Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes, and Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson slash uh, Falcon, and Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill. That was still a lot of people. All right, so this is going to be a nitty-gritty review of this movie. We're going to go through the gritty film's grid, talk about what works, what doesn't, and uh, just what we like in general about the movie and, and maybe what we don't like. Um, so I am, I'm pretty excited to, to jump in. But before we do, I know one of the reasons I, I asked you, Brian, to be on this particular one is because I know you're a big Captain America fan, and we've kind of uh, have not been very kind to Captain America in the past. You have not been kind to the Captain. I know. Um, So so I wanted to to hopefully amend some of that and and get some, a little bit more variety um, and and get some more conversation going. So so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, So before we open it up to the grid, um, do either of you want to talk about any open-ended stuff, your first time you saw this movie, first opinions, anything like that before we jump in? When I first saw that there were that the second Captain America was going to be the Winter Soldier. It really surprised and excited me. In the comics, the character of Captain America was kind of in a creative lull. And then Ed Brubaker and Steve Efting came on with a new Captain America number one, and it started the Winter Soldier arc. And that's really what, I mean, that was the creation of that character, but it was a real shot in the arm for the character of Captain America. So I was definitely there opening weekend to see this and see what they did with the live action aspect of it. And yeah, very excited. And I was very pleased with how it turned out. All right. How about you, Tristan? Uh, I have nothing to add. Nothing? How, <laughs> um, many, how many times had you seen this movie before today? Or yesterday, I suppose. It was uh, this was probably my third or fourth time watching it. Really? Because I'm pretty Maybe. sure this was only the second time I had ever seen it. Oh, uh, well, then it's probably my second time. I don't think mm-hmm. I would watch it. That's why I was surprised. Uh, um, I don't know. I wasn't keeping track very well, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, maybe twice. I'm pretty sure I only saw this movie in theaters, and I don't know why, because it definitely definitely has rewatchability. It's definitely fun. It's got Scarlett Johansson, which I yeah. love her, and I tend to go through her uh, filmography pretty frequently and for some reason just never got to, to this one, I don't think. So yeah, I'm excited. I was excited to rewatch it since it had been so long, and I'm excited to talk about it. On that note, should we delve into the grid? Let's do it. All right. So the first category of the grid is going to be writing, plot, and genre. I think one of the most one of the most interesting things to me within this category is that this is one of the first times within the MCU that we really see like the blurring of genre lines. We see it a little bit here and there throughout the. I mean, certainly with the first Captain America, I was like, okay, this is kind of a war movie, but a super. But it was definitely a superhero movie first, and it had elements of a war movie. And I feel like this is the first time where it's like, oh, this is like a, a political espionage thriller that happens to have superheroes. Absolutely. Which I think is really is really cool. Uh, even though that's not my favorite genre, <laughs> I think uh, I think they pulled it off really well. 
and, and it was an interesting uh, an interesting route to go and, and opened the door for for a lot of the MCU to do to do the same with future movies uh, with various other genres. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was my my initial thought with this category. How about you two? I completely agree. Going into the film, it was you know, all right, we're going to see another Marvel movie. This is going to be a lot of fun. And then as it unfolds, just the the pacing of it and the the different story beats that are happening, it it definitely resonated like a like a late 70s spy thriller, you know, not not the the campy kind, but yeah. you know, definitely like a serious espionage thriller. And and having that mixed in with the, the superhero flavor, I think that really elevated the, the concept of what a Marvel Cinematic Universe entry could be. And I think it's it's a, a pattern that's kind of been catching really caught on after that with a lot of their slate. You can definitely see the. The individual character, smaller films kind of following that pattern, like Ant-Man's kind of a heist film and, you know, it's things like that. And it's it was a neat blending of genres. Yeah, I agree. Well, I guess I would sound stupid if I disagreed. So I'm going to agree. <laughs> That's uh, boring. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, not uh, as good with the genre stuff as you two are, I guess. But I, I like the writing in this one. Um, I thought it had some really neat ideas. One of the things I didn't like about the first Captain America is that it's like pure good guy versus pure bad guy. Like, gee, I wonder who's going to win. Yeah. Uh, whereas this one, it's much more interesting. People, like, it's hard to tell who the good guy is and who the bad guy is. And, well, maybe it's not hard to tell, but it's not as obvious. And it I starts think- out with the good guys, like, we're the good guys. We're going to do good things by pointing guns at everyone. There's right. no way this could go wrong because <laughs> we're the good guys. Exactly. Right. So I thought that was much more interesting. And even Steve Rogers was kind of not sure if this was the right thing. He said that a couple times. Yeah. yeah. That, and that kind of goes to the, the core of the character. And it's, you know, that he believes in standing up for what's right and the 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 moral rectitude of you are here to protect people, protect people through the right path versus threats and right. overpowering strength. And it's really some of my favorite Captain America stories have always been the ones that pit his morals against what everyone else is saying is right, but he knows is wrong. And this is a great example of that. Cause in the beginning of it with project insight, it's like, we're going to keep the world safe with all these thousands of guns that right. can take down thousands of people a minute. And yeah. you know, he's immediately like, you're keeping the world safe through fear by holding a gun to its head. Right. And, you know, obviously Nick Fury internalizes a little bit of that and brings it up to, to Pierce, but it's the first inkling that you have, that the viewer has that maybe something bigger is going on with project insight is that, that interaction where it, it takes Steve Rogers and his 96 year old man sensibilities <laughs> to, to point out, Hey, maybe this isn't a good thing. Uh, did anybody have any any weak points within this category or anything that, that really stood out as a strength? I thought the pace was excellent, actually. I think that it uh, had a, a nice ebb and flow to it. And then as you get through the midway point of the movie, the big confrontation with the Winter Soldier out on the, the street, yeah. that was kind of from there, it was just snappy and fast paced. And before that, it had a nice uh, ebb and flow. You know, <laughs> yeah. It started out strong action and then kind of moved down into some some exposition and plot and then it had another action sequence and it was it always kept you interested even in the expositionary points it's there was enough movement to the story that i was never like okay what's next yeah that's fair how about you 
Uh, yeah, I also thought the pacing was really well done. I like that. But I did rate the character Outer Goals the highest in this category. Don't quite remember why, <laughs> <laughs> other than it was good, I guess. I actually, I also had, um, I had character Outer Goals and genre cliches, tropes and twists were both tied for the highest for me. And for, for Outer Goals, I rated it high. I don't mean to speak for you, but maybe this will spark something and, and help you remember um, but I rated it fairly high because I just really liked that that essentially the outer goal is let's take down shield. Like it's I mean, it's more complicated than that, but it's really right. like, oh, this thing we thought was good is bad. let's let's shut it down. Let's take it out. Um, which is really especially for where we at, where we were at at this point in the MCU. like I mean, we're in the middle of season one of agents of shield and they took shield down. Like that's, yeah, that's really, really interesting. And we, you know, the first Avengers movie was not, that's only a couple movies ago. And that was seeing like, Oh, look what shield did. They brought these people together. Shields, the, they, they were kind of ambiguous before that, but look at what they right. did. They're heroes. This is great. Look at what Coulson did. He sacrificed himself for the cause. Like shield is awesome. They're shielding humanity from harm. Exactly. And and then ease into this movie and it's like, oh, it's more complicated than that. Like, yeah, there are some good guys, yeah, there are some good ideas, but there you know, things are being taken too far, there's corruption. Um, and I just found that really interesting. So so I agree that the, the character outer goals, um, that's why I rated it high. I did think I rated the world building and exposition fairly low, largely for for two main reasons, um, which this kind of falls into a few other categories as well, but I kind of lumped it in here and gave gave this one a little bit of a low score. There's the scene at the Smithsonian where he's like walking through and it's got the voiceover like, let's recap the whole plot of the first <laughs> event or the first Captain America movie. I'm like, okay, I guess that was done in an okay way, but like, did that many, like, first of all, was that really that necessary? Like we see, you know, the Bucky Barnes Memorial, we remember who that is. That's really all you need to know. And he was frozen for, for however many years. Like that's, that's, that's really it. And we have like this whole voiceover recapping the entire plot of the first Captain America movie. It seemed a little heavy handed to me. And that in and of itself, I, I would have let slide. But then we have the scene where they find um, Zola. That was his name, yeah. right? And he's just for no reason. It's just that stereotypical, oh, like, yeah. I'm a James Bond villain. Let me just tell you my whole plan and then take you out. But oops, my plan failed and you didn't get taken out. That was really the only time in the movie where I was kind of rolling my eyes. Like, why is this happening? Why is he telling them this? Because he's so sure that that he is so smart that they're going to be destroyed because his brain is just so many real-to-real computers. <laughs> um, I got to say, though, like seeing that little boxy camera start moving around, I was like, oh, it's going to be Arnim Zola. <laughs> I got so excited. I was like bouncing up and down on my chair because in the comics, he's been a longtime villain, except the difference is instead of being a whole room full of computers, he's a giant robot body with like a TV on the abdomen that has Arnim <laughs> Zola's face. And then there's the tiny boxy TV camera on the head, okay. which obviously would not work live action. Yeah. But I mean, in the yeah. comics, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> but yeah, the the world building exposition. I, on the note of the Smithsonian, I think, yes, the, the voiceover was a bit much. I think they could have accomplished it much more smoothly without the voiceover. But yeah. I still loved the, the scene overall with Sorry. Steve Rogers kind of walking through his past yeah that part was great because in yeah. you know in avengers that he basically wakes up in a 
in a mock-up of a uh, you know 1940s apartment and you never really get a sense of him being a man out of time and a lot of the smaller moments in the beginning of this film definitely gave more of a sense of that and i think him reminiscing as he's walking through this memorial to him yeah it was it was really neat and honestly i i got goosebumps like when it shows him looking up at the picture of the howling commandos and then there's the little kid like <gasps> and it goes, Shh. yeah <laughs> because he's got the standard mcu disguise of i'm wearing a hat yeah. so no one recognizes me yeah. right <laughs> yeah i still get goosebumps though yeah it, it was, i think that's partly why i dislike the i guess it's not technically a voiceover because it's diegetic but whatever it's, it's essentially a voiceover yeah it's obtrusive yeah like i just i think that's partly why i, I dislike it so much is because i'm like that's a great scene and it would have been so much more powerful if we weren't spoon-fed this recap of the first movie like i'm like just let it stand on its own stop it mm-hmm. <laughs> so but yeah it is yeah. a great scene i do agree with that all right now uh, what was everybody's total scores then for writing plot and genre my total uh, is 8.4, which is outstanding. Wow. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that, too. I, <laughs> I like this movie more than I thought I would. All right, fair enough. And I ended up with a 7.38. Wow, Tristan was higher than you. I'm doubly surprised. I know. <laughs> um, I think what dragged down my score was the world-building exposition. I did give a 6, mainly because of the Smithsonian recording. But, you know, I mean, when it comes to numbers, it's like, it's a solid A... I know. What did you give it again? <laughs> no, I give it. Uh, it ended up with a seven point three eight. No, seven point three eight. That solidly exceeds expectations. That's, it does. That's not bad. Um, I gave it a, a six point six, um, which does exceed expectations. I did think it was a, a very solid script overall. The score really got got dragged down pretty significantly for me with the world building exposition. I only gave it a four out of ten. Um, Because between those two scenes that I mentioned, it just felt really spoon fed. The world building was great. It was really just the exposition. Just, I don't know. I didn't like it. But everything else was great. So 6.6 for me. What did you think of the writing for the characters? I actually thought this was was pretty strong overall. Character inner needs was by far the lowest for me. It's definitely there. Like there's definitely, I feel like, you know, Steve Rogers for sure is like, I need to learn how to connect with humanity because I'm like, you know, man out of time. Like you said, you know, Black Widow is constantly like, maybe you should hook up with this person. Why don't you talk to this person? And Just pimping out every female. <laughs> pretty much. But like, but he doesn't need romance. Like he needs a friend. And that's why like the Bucky Barnes thing is so like when he sees Bucky, it's like, oh, that's what I've been missing. Right. Uh, and now that I'm talking about it out loud, I think I might actually give it a bump because I do really like that aspect that, you know, he just, he needs that connection. And he makes one with, you know, he forms a friendship with Black Widow or Natasha. I don't know why I keep calling her Black Widow. And with, it sounds cooler than Natasha. It's true. And nobody <laughs> ever calls her that. Nobody, I don't know. But yeah, so I do like that. And I thought that Natasha slash Black Widow, whatever, she also, she had kind of a, a mirrored inner need of like, like she's constantly lying and almost to the point where she is incapable of being honest with anybody about anything. Right. And she's like, well, maybe that's not the best, or at least Captain America, you know, Steve Rogers is like, you know, maybe you're, maybe that's not how you should live your life. Like, let me school you on like the value of honesty. She's like, and it's overrated. So now that I'm talking about it out loud, I'm going to boost that score up. I actually like the inner needs quite a bit. I would agree with the, with your assessment of the character inner needs. It's seeing the small touches of Steve Rogers kind of 
looking for human connection and an understanding of the world he lives in now. I mean, you could tie it to his notebook that he carries. It's in the first scene as right. he's running around the, the reflecting pool at the Washington Monument. And then he's talking to Sam afterwards and he pulls out his notebooks like, oh, yeah, Trouble Man soundtrack. And just pausing and like going through the list, you can see that these are things that someone mentions in conversation. He's like, I'm going to have to check this out later to understand what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Even though he wouldn't say hell in conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, that and just the they did a good job of portraying through through the film the you could see the longing for human connection that he had. Yeah, because there's only a handful of people he knows. There's the scene with old Peggy Carter, the hunger for connection, but also the understanding that he doesn't have that many options for his past, I think, came across very well in those scenes that were allowed to be more emotional. Yeah. And I, I think that one scene in particular that stuck out to me that played well with both uh, Natasha and Steve was when they're driving out to uh, Camp Lejeune and they're in the truck and they're talking and, you know, he's like, Oh, was that who you are? And she's like, I can, I can be whoever you want me to be. And I think that's part of the scene we're talking about. Like she spends so much of her life lying and there's a lot of subtle expression change during that conversation that you could definitely see that both characters are internalizing each other's perspective and it's feeding their own inner growth. And I think it's a really subtle and nice touch. And it's something that this movie did well in between all the explosions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Beatrice, any, uh, any low points with this, with this category, any high points? Any low points, man. I've, I've like totally forgot why I gave any of these. Um, Oh, yeah. Character likability was rated pretty low. Uh, I actually took a note for this one. And this is kind of my own pet peeve, I guess. So maybe I'm a little too harsh on it. But there's a scene where I don't even remember who said this, but someone says something like, give me four hours. And then the other person says, you have three Oh, that was Fury talking to um, Maria Hill. Oh, that's you, you right. You docked character likability and not dialogue for that? I don't know. I've got to <laughs> something somewhere. I, that's just the category I was looking at, I guess. I don't know. But that just right. always pisses me off. Even when I was like a little kid watching Star Trek. Picard's like, hey, Jordy, how long will it take to fix this? And he's like, oh, I don't know, about three hours? And he's like, you have 20 minutes or whatever. <laughs> Do like, it faster. Fuck you, Captain. We're already dying. <laughs> I'm not even going to bother trying if that were <laughs> <laughs> that just, as you can tell, that is a pet peeve and maybe an irrational one, but I got to dock something somewhere. So I guess I mean, I'll bring down dialogue instead. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I agree with the pet peeve and it bothers me as well, but docking character likability seems harsh. I actually rated rated character likability very high, especially considering, uh, as anyone who's listened to our other Marvel Monday podcasts knows, uh, for, for at least me and Tristan, Steve Rogers, not so much a favorite, but I thought he was, he was, I think, I don't know, pitting him against is the right word, but, but pairing him up with, with shield the way that they did and like hearing his conversations with Nick Fury of like, here's how I think things should be. Nick Fury saying, well, no, here's how things really should be. Right. And like hearing dialogues like that, I thought really helped us understand and maybe relate to him a little bit. And, you know, he was a little less like, gee, Skippy, I'm a Boy Scout. I'm going to do everything right. right. And more like, oh, there's more depth here. And there's more like there's two sides of the, you know, moral relativity coin or whatever. But I don't know if that made sense. But, you know, there's there's different ways of being right or being moral. And he picks one, S.H.I.E.L.D. picks another. And he ends up being right. So we side with him. So I thought that that was interesting. But then what I really like about this movie is is all the characters, they, they pair up with him. Like I said, with Nick Fury... 
that was great, way better than Nick Fury with Tony Stark. Like, that's like Tony Stark just doesn't even care. So who like what relevance right. is there? Like, it's like okay, it's kind of fun to see him there, but yeah. But that like that was, it was great pairing him with Nick Fury, having um, Maria Hill in there. She's a she's a favorite of mine. I love Maria Hill. I haven't read many comic books, but the few I have that she's been in, I'm like, she's awesome. Why is she not in the movies more? She Agreed. Ass. She's amazing. <laughs> so, so she, and she has some great scenes in this movie. She was very likable. Black Widow was fairly likable, but not as much in some of the other movies, but she still did a great job. Um, or the writing did a great job with her. It was just everybody introducing Falcon. Now I'm just listing characters. <laughs> um, but really, the, just the ensemble cast um, really boosted the character likability for me. I thought it was, that, that was easily, well, not easily, it was tied, actually tied with dialogue for me, largely for all of the same reasons, mostly the, the Nick Fury scenes. He just has some of the best dialogue in the MCU and yeah. very well executed in this movie. I've been on for way too long. Someone else needs to take over. <laughs> um, so character likability, I rated a solid 10. I think right. that, that as far as the characterizations of comic book characters in the MCU, I think this was the best representation of that for a number, a large number of characters. Mm-hmm. I think that this Black Widow resonated a lot more with me than, you know, Black Widow and the Avengers or her brief spot in uh, Iron Man 2. Oh. Uh, right? Ugh. Right? <laughs> Is it worth mentioning? <laughs> well, it happened, so I guess it is. Um, but yeah, just the the interplay between uh, Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers and the fact that they introduced Falcon in the first place. Going back to the comics, that was a pairing that was has been long running. Is you know, it's Falcon and Captain America, you know, they're they're buddies, they fight crime together. They had more than one run of the comics where, you know, it wasn't Captain America, it was Captain America and Falcon. And so seeing them bring that forward and modernize it and have Falcon be such a fun character on screen, you know, I mean, Anthony Mackie did a great job of just being playful, but also with enough gravitas that you, uh, you can accept that, yes, he is a badass jetpack pararescue guy. And now he's hanging out with Captain America. And I think that a lot of that is just so much fun yeah <laughs> so much fun so yeah i definitely rated likability out of 10 even the bad guys and the the mopey winter soldier which yeah i know he's mopey <laughs> but that's kind of how he is yeah. until later he's got, um, he's got a lot to mope about to be fair he does <laughs> i forgot what scene it was but we were watching it yesterday captain america told him something Without even thinking, I just blurted out, "You're not my dad." Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it was it was when Captain America was trying to be like, "You know me," and he's like, "No, I don't," or something. And I mean, it's that a great funny. scene, but I really like the characters in this one a lot more than I did in the first Captain America, hands down. Yeah, and a lot of it is, I think, because uh, Captain America was more interesting for me and more complex. It wasn't yeah. just you know pure good versus pure evil. Yeah, which is literally what the first one was. Right. Absolutely. I mean, as, as far as comparing the two, it's Captain America. The first Avenger was very much a period piece that was based in World War II that was showing you the origin of how it was almost a stylized origin of how Captain America became Captain America. In some ways, it felt like a like an obligatory stepping stone to get to the Avengers and to establish Cap as a character. So I felt like there were some corners cut, but at the same time, for... For that film itself, it felt very much in line with early Captain America comic books and how, you know, the dialogue was not nuanced. The The lines were very clear. 
You know, in yeah. the, the early days of comic books, there was bad guys and good guys and the good guys always won unless it was a cliffhanger issue, in which case they won next time. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that comparing these two movies is a very good example of the difference in Captain America when he was first created versus when he really, for me, became one of my favorite characters in the 80s and 90s is the challenge of this is right because, you know, th this is morally right, even though the government or the Avengers or whoever is saying that, you know, this way is right. I know this way is right. So I'm going to do what everyone else says is wrong. I think comparing the two movies definitely shows the the phases of Captain America in a really cool way. So that's why it doesn't surprise me that that this movie, you guys find him much more likable and, and interesting as a character. Because yeah. it's very much, this is the modern Captain America, whereas First Avenger was, that's old school Captain America. Yeah, makes sense. I do think one thing, um, I guess this kind of goes into character development. One thing that I really liked about this movie is that there wasn't really like the, the obligatory superhero love story. It was very much right. so. I mean, they still set up Sharon. Um, you know, they still set that up, but they don't even like... You know, unless you're a fan of the comics, you're not going to know, like, oh, that's Peggy's niece. I know where this is going. Like, that yeah, comes right. in Civil War. Spoiler alert, I guess. But, yeah, so... Even like, then, it wasn't expanded on that much in Civil War. Yeah. The, the romance aspect of it, anyway. Exactly, yeah. It's just kind of hinted at more than yeah. anything. Um, so I thought that that was, was really refreshing. And, and in addition to that, like, they easily could have gone the route of like, well, they're not going to hook up or anything, but we've got a man and a woman like working together. There's going to be some sexual tension there. Right. And they like nipped that in the bud right away. Like, like we were saying earlier, so the whole movie, uh, Black Widow was just like, like, Hey, have you thought about hooking up with her? You should hook up with her. Why don't you get out more? And it's not at all. Like, you know, she's not flirting with him. She's not like none of that. It's just like, they're just buddies and she's like his wingman or something. Right. right. Well, then, in, in some of the scenes, she was definitely throwing some flirt face at him, but you could tell that it wasn't coming from a place of attraction or romance. It was very much, a, you know, a platonic partnership of friends and she's doing it because she knows it's going to bug him. Exactly. And even like the, the kiss that they share is very much like, okay, for anybody thinking there's like sexual tension, let's fizz it now. And then there's like, you know, she's a little flirtatious and, you know, a little like, oh, you're still uncomfortable. Like, eh, not really. Like, you know, there's like, right. you know, so there's still, you get moments, but it's not obnoxious and it's not like, oh, I guess they're going to hook up now. It's like, no, they're, they're yeah. buddies and they work well together and they weren't really quite friends at the beginning. Now they are like, it's, it's almost like a buddy cop dynamic ish um, or, or a twist on that within, within the spy universe. Like I, I thought that they just played really well together and I, very much so appreciated uh, in general the lack of a love story because we've we've complained about that a lot yeah. on this podcast <laughs> that's because it's easily complained about because not every story needs a love story especially yeah. superhero stories that's especially. not that's not what it's about and this movie really exemplifies that that like it can be about and it's still i mean essentially the friendship with him and bucky like replaces the obligatory love story but it's a different take on it yeah, it's right? a bromance so, exactly um so <laughs> so i just really appreciated that uh, what were your final scores then? I ended up with an 8.4. All right. How about you, Tristan? I gave it a 7.4. All right. And I gave it a 7.5. Uh, it was quite a bit lower, and then I, I boosted the uh, character inner needs quite a bit. All right. So that's going to bring us to the next category, which is going to be acting and casting. 
Brian, I know before we started recording, you had mentioned something about the, the face <laughs> acting category. Do oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> um, I actually made a note in the, the opening scene where they're assaulting the Lemurian star and taking down all these pirates. And first of all, that's an amazing scene and I love it. Yeah, but yeah. how Black Widow kind of infiltrates the ship and then she's coming through and, and the, the moment when she sneaks up on one of the the mercenaries and she's kind of hanging on a ladder and she's like, Hey sailor. I was like, face acting. <laughs> and it was great because like within that scene, it's like, Ooh, I'm, I'm being super seductive, super seductive. And then all of a sudden she's just a cold blooded killer and she's chasing yeah. it. Yeah. And you're just like, that scares me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that was a great example of the face acting and overall the, as I talked about earlier when in the character inner needs section, there was a lot of really nice, subtle face acting throughout yeah. this. You know, I mean, the, being able to really sell bafflement or, or shock or like <gasps> explosion is one thing, but being able to convey emotion with just a little squint of the eyes and like adjustment of the jaw, I think is really well done in this movie. So I, I definitely scored face acting very well for this. One. Yeah. I think anything with Scarlett Johansson is automatically going to get bumped up for face acting. That's definitely, I don't know if that's like her, her biggest strength or whatever, but she's really good at it. Oh, yeah, I think it's easily. I mean, I've said it before, and I always feel bad saying it because I don't mean it to sound as bad as it does. But like, she's best when she doesn't talk. Not that her live deliveries are bad, but like her, she could do a whole movie where she doesn't say anything and she would get everything across just fine. Yeah. Like her, her reactions are just amazing. And it's a perfect fit for this character who is, you know, like a chameleon saying Mm -hmm. she can be whatever you want. You know, whatever it takes to get the job done, she can be it. I did take some face acting points off. Uh, and this is kind of a petty reason, but it really bothered me. Um, there's this, so there's the scene. I can't believe we didn't mention this part in the in the writing. It seems weird it didn't come up. But there, so there's the whole plot line <clears throat> where like Black Widow has the like face disguise mask oh, yeah. thing, which is a whole thing that I'm. That, that's a thing that happened. Um, I'm not for it. But before we know that that's what's going on, there's a scene where it's like, she, she was, that character was a councilwoman, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so there's a scene where we see the councilwoman and she's walking with all the other world peace people. I'm so bad with the world security council. There we go. I, I was half there. Uh, so it's like the world security council and she's walking in and Pierce is like, you know, like, oh, I'm glad you got here. Or when someone says something like, uh, like, yeah, nothing could keep us, or, or, or you can't control everything, not even Captain America. Or he says something about Captain yeah. America. And then the council, like, her eyes start darting around like crazy. Like, oh, no, oh, he mentioned Captain America. And I'm like, like, I get that that's kind of a nice nod if you know what's going on, like, on a second viewing of, like, oh, I see. Like, she's getting a little nervous because they mentioned Captain America. But then I'm like, Fucking Natasha Romanoff, she's not going to get nervous. She's not going to, like, what is she doing? She's not going to show any signs. She wouldn't. So it bothered me. Like, even though I get what they were doing, I'm like, she wouldn't. No. What? She's too stone cold for that. Right? Like, she wouldn't. And it wasn't even like they're like, oh, do you think he's here? Like, all they did was mention his name. She's like, oh, oh, no. Oh, they mentioned him. What if I'm found out? So that bothered me. But other than that, I agree with everything both of you said. The the face acting in general was was very solid. I did think for line delivery, speaking of, um, of Scarlett Johansson being best when she doesn't say anything, <laughs> I did think this was not her strongest performance as far as line deliveries go. Everything else, she was definitely on par with her her usual strengths. But especially in the beginning of the movie, 
Um, she just came off a little flat at times, which I think was intentional. I think it's supposed to be like, oh, she's like this blank slate until she wants right. to be something else. Like, I think it was more than likely a director's choice or, or maybe a combination of, of her suggesting it, something along those lines of like, oh, blank slate. And then when she decides to be something else. Um, but it was a little heavy handed for my taste. Um, I didn't seem to align with what we've seen of her so far, though, I guess I guess that would just be Avengers because she wasn't really Natasha Romanoff in Iron Man 2. She was undercover the whole time. Um, so maybe that's not a fair a fair thing to say because we've never really seen her not in action before. That's so maybe, maybe I'll bump it up a little bit. But yeah, those were my thoughts for, for face acting and line deliveries. Those were the first things that came um, to mind. I don't have a whole lot of input for line deliveries. I mean, there's definitely some, there's some cheese in there, but it's a superhero movie, so I'm willing to accept that. Like, Tristan's example earlier of when can you be, I need you in Washington, DC. And like, I need you here in a quarter of the time you just told me it's going to take. (laughs) Cause I'm assuming that you're padding it out. Like you wanted to take a nap or something, (laughs) but you know, get here faster and stuff like that. You just kind of accept. So I didn't give line delivery a a huge score, but for the, the principal cast beyond those little one-off sections, I think they did a really good job of, making their characters believable through the delivery. And what you're saying about uh, Natasha in the beginning, you know, she had a very flat delivery. No, not a whole lot of inflection, very little emotion. And that very much is the way I read it was very much the the blank slate, like we were talking about. And I, I think that as a stylistic choice in the directing, it was really cool. Even if in the moment you're like, is, is she on Valium? <laughs> is she awake? But yeah, as, as far as line delivery, that's about all I have to say on that. As far as the casting of the main characters, obviously the the recurring cast, they're, they're in these roles for a reason. Absolutely. You know, it's not the first rodeo for most of these guys, but for the, the new characters, when I saw the first Avenger and, and Bucky in that, uh, Sebastian Stan, you know, playing Bucky in that, I was like, eh. And then when I saw that they were making the Winter Soldier storyline, I was like, all right, I got to see this. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that he, I think he did a great job because up until his conditioning starts breaking down later in the film, he's he's basically a Terminator. Right. You know, he's just like right. efficient, cold-blooded, <laughs> blowing things up and and nothing can stop him. And then later you see the, the facade start to break down as his mental conditioning breaks down and Steve starts breaking through. And I think seeing that, that conflict in him, I don't know trying to think of how to word this i know a lot of different actors could play this but for me now i can't think of anyone else that i would want to play this character i think that goes a lot for me in casting and some of that is informed from the later movies but re-watching this seeing the the conflict in the third act of you know he, he he's trying to fulfill his mission but at the same time he you know pulls punches here and there and you can see some of that conflict and i think he did a great job and it was a great choice in casting yeah i agree completely i gave casting for the main characters and the secondary characters uh, both really high scores just because like you said like that one character is plays like a, a an unstoppable killing machine and sort of has like mental breakdowns not really sure what's going on or just just kind of generally confused and then struggling with dealing with the past and kind of recognizing his friend, but kind of not sure, still not sure what's going on. And that's that's like a pretty wide range of things. And that's just one character because all the characters are in different situations. And uh, I thought all the acting was was really well done. 
especially loved Anthony Mackie as, as Sam Wilson. I like the, a bit too. the playfulness he brought to the role was great. And he, I, as I was saying earlier, he's definitely got enough gravitas to, to show why he's in this role and right. why Sam yeah. Wilson is in this situation, but he's also playful enough to be entertaining. And you can see, you know, the, the wisecracking and the smiling and, yeah, he's getting shot at, but he's getting shot at helping Captain America. And that's freaking cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's that kind of that boyishness to the to the role that he brought that I thought was a lot of fun. And then extras, I, I don't really have a lot of expectations for extras. Everyone, you know, looked like they were shopping in a mall when they were in the mall scenes. <laughs> yeah. Um, people that were running in the streets were running in the streets. Uh Yeah. Not a whole lot stood out in extras. Not a lot. I gave extras a, a pretty high score, largely because, first of all, there were just so many. And then second of all, like for a large number of the scenes with extras, like they had to look scared and like running around. And I feel like it's real easy for like, like all it takes is one extra to be like, oh, I'm going to be a scene stealer. Look at me. <laughs> and then it's like ruined. <laughs> um, so, so I appreciated that they all, you know, they all blended in. They look like a crowd. And then also we get a, I am blanking on his real name, but Abed from Community pops in. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think technically he had a line, so he wouldn't technically be an extra. But it was one line, so I'm going to count, count that as an extra and give it a bump. Danny Pudi? Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. I can't believe you remember that, and I didn't. That yeah, is a I, first. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was great. And then, and then for the the main characters and the secondary characters, pretty much everything you, you guys already said. It was very strong categories. And I believe, um, let me double check. Uh, yeah, unless I make any changes down the line, um, acting and casting was was definitely the strongest category for me overall. Very strong category. All right. Uh, what were your final scores then? I ended up with a 7.1. Wait, no, sorry. 8.16. I was looking at the wrong category. <laughs> so I have a 7.0. Exactly. Uh, so mine came out to a, an 8.4 outstanding all right so then that's going to bring us to cinematography lighting this is one of those categories i thought everything looked really great was was really strong overall but i don't have a ton of note how about you guys anything anything that really stood out anything that i guess stood out for, for good or for worse um i think that overall the the lighting did a good job and that there wasn't anything that was very specifically noticeable because what i found is in when it comes to lighting the more noticeable stuff is stuff that looks like crap or stuff that is just kind of baffling like uh the lighting in the penultimate scene in the first iron man with jeff bridges and and uh tony stark with you know like a bunch of underlit watery blue oh, light oh yeah and it's like the room where they have those chains hanging for some reason yeah. right and water everywhere like that's where they wash their chains or something yeah yeah you know that that's kind of been my experience with lighting is when it's really good you just believe it and you don't really think about it as far as i'm concerned and yeah. the, there's a lot of that there's nothing that really jumped out for me, I felt like some of the scenes were a little dark, but they were generally scenes that were at night. So I was <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. sun's down, makes sense. Uh, so for lighting, I didn't score this category very high. And I think part of that's just because this movie is trying to be very realistic. Uh, so there's not like a lot of interesting lights because real life doesn't mostly doesn't have real interesting things, especially if it's just office spaces and government buildings and things like that. I thought that everything was pretty evenly lit, which I think is more common in action movies, just so you can see everything. 
right? You don't want to have people fighting that you can't see. There is one thing that stood out that I liked before they reveal who the Winter Soldier is when he's sitting Mm. in Pierce's house, I guess, kitchen. And he has like the Morticia Adams lighting where he's like completely in the shade and then maybe there's a little bit on his eyes. Yeah. Uh, That was like really dramatic lighting. But that's the only thing that really stood out, which, like I said, it's like an action movie and it's supposed to be realistic. But I like to see a little bit more in superhero movie fair enough um i thought this movie i definitely agree um as far as realism that was easily my highest score um and the only one within this um within the lighting category to get into the outstanding range uh because they did a a really good job of you know making this feel like this is this is the real world it just happens to have crazy you know crazy conspiracy i guess not conspiracy because it's actually happening but crazy government stuff superhero stuff espionage all that but it's very realistic. This is our world that this is all crazy stuff is happening in. Um, so I liked the the realistic aspect. Um, and I thought it did a really good job of, um, of uh, everything just looked beautiful, I thought. I, th- I think even though everything was very realistic, there was definitely a decent amount of like contrast. And um, there were some different color schemes going on that I noticed, um, which I guess goes under lighting. That's also obviously like set design and things like that play a part. But like the the winter soldier scenes and the, the Hydra scenes tended to be like yellows and greens, whereas everything else was, was more of a realistic, mm-hmm. like didn't really have a specific color tone to it. Um, so I thought that that was a nice touch of being like, okay, and here's the bad guys um, without being too obnoxious about it. So things like that, I thought it did a good job as far as, you know, storytelling, setting the mood, the scene you mentioned, Tristan, with the, the shaft of light it was a little dramatic for as far as the realism goes, but, but worked well enough. So I thought I, I rated things fairly high. Um, so on that note, is there anything else anybody would like to add for lighting cinematography? No. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to camera work, though. Yeah? All right. Yeah. Have you interested in anything you, you, you want to add? No. Nope. All right. <laughs> uh, so what were your final scores, then, for uh, for lighting? 7.4 for me. All right. Very close to me. I gave it a 7.7. And mine came up to 6.2. Well, it's not as low as I thought it was going to be based on how you were talking about it. That's my strategy. <laughs> just talk bad about it and surprise you with a score that's not that bad. <laughs> well, still, but, I mean, that exceeds expectations. I was expecting like yeah. something in the five range. All right. So then that's going to bring us to cinematography, camera work. Uh, what were your guys' high points, low points? Anything stand out? I felt that this movie did a great job of capturing a lot of the, the hand-to-hand combat. Because Captain America is very, he, he's a brawler. Yeah. He's got an art to it. But it's definitely, you know, it's punches and kicks and shield throws. And I think that this film did a great job of capturing all of that in a quick enough pace to make it feel very, very fast and very visceral. But without like the the born, you know, shaky cam, like, oh, that's an elbow flying past the camera. And I, hey, that guy's on the ground. The elbow must have hit him in the head. You know, you can still <laughs> tell exactly what's going on. Yeah. And I think that was a, a great job. And some of the, the bigger scenes, like the, the whole Nick Fury chase sequence. Awesome. Yeah. That's one of the, the best automotive chase sequences in the MCU. Yeah. yeah. And just the, you know, sliding around corners and really put you into the action. And it's so exciting. And I also feel like they did a good job with the, the camera work and the, the quieter scenes of framing people. And this gets a little more into the mise-en-scene, but framing people in the world where it, it definitely puts the focus on them, but it 
puts them in the world as opposed to having it feel like a background, especially in the scenes uh, like in the mall. You know, the the focus is definitely on Steve and Natasha, but the the overall picture, they blend in. And I think that was a really good use of the camera work to get it to happen. Makes sense. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Any any strengths or weaknesses that stand out? Um, no, not really. Not for me. <laughs> um, maybe I wasn't paying as much attention as I should have. But uh, for these kinds of movies, I expect to see like some some heroic pose or, or something that could be like a like a cover for a comic book. And I didn't notice any of that when I was watching it. I don't know. This one just seemed like a well done action movie. Nothing really stood out as all that good or all that bad for me. I think I'm somewhere in the middle uh, between between your opinions. I definitely love the action scenes. I think I, I for sure rated editing and special effects. In general, there's some very high categories in there because I thought that the editing played a, a very big role in in just how well the, the fight scenes were presented. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, Steve. But I mean, obviously, the editor can't edit things together if it wasn't shot well. So I mean, it's definitely a, a joint effort. Um, so I rated I rated the, the the camera work high as well, especially for things like camera movement and um, I guess just overall camera work. Those got pretty high, um, just for mostly just for the fight scenes and how well they were shot. And I thought there was some some pretty good mise en scene as well. I'm trying to think, Tristan, you had said you know there weren't like power shots, and I'm like, no, there totally were. And then I'm having trouble thinking of them, but I feel like there were a lot of shots of like captain america with his shield and you know throwing his shield and some power shots in there uh, they were they were like lowercase p power shots because they were very okay. fast and then and then they're moving on like the the scene where he kicks the living crap out of you know a dozen shield agents in an elevator yeah. and then yeah. escapes like yeah. like actually before that there's a solid power shot there because you know you've got the the high behind shot from the corner of the elevator looking down and there's just a bunch of dudes on the ground groaning and he just <clears throat> steps on the yeah. corner of a shield, flips up one fluid moment, puts it on his back. It's like, uh, you're like, that's badass. Um, so a lot of smaller power shots like that throughout the movie. And uh, the first full screen shot of the winter soldier during the Nick Fury chase sequence, how, uh, you know, just kind of all of a sudden, yeah. Hey, this guy's in the middle of the street. And you're like, right. whoa, who's this dude? And then he throws out the mine and then just kind of steps to the side as the explosion flips the, the Tahoe. And he's like, Whoa. yeah, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I also really liked the shot when um when Pierce dies and then the camera like kind of zooms out on him, which is like him with the blood stained shot, like the bullet wound oozing out and all the broken glass around him. Uh, yeah, I thought yeah. that was a, a very well, like that felt like it, it was a not necessarily like a cover, certainly not a cover page and probably not even like a full page in a comic that's like a good solid like quarter page panel like at the bottom to end a scene like just like yeah up close and then bottom whole bottom of the page just like yeah glass all around it yeah that was very comic booky in its presentation yeah so i like that quite a bit and yeah i guess that's about about all i have of note for this category is there anything else um either of you would like to, to add either strengths or, or weaknesses? I think I've covered everything I can say without just saying things I've already said in a different way. I mean, I can definitely <laughs> yeah. use other words <laughs> to say the same thing, but um, yeah, I think it was a, a great blend of the different camera styles, you know, like you've got the, the Michael Bay 
go-kart camera for the chase sequences and then a lot of the the action sequences you could feel you know when they've got the stationary cameras versus the I forget what it's called where it's basically a camera on a harness and the guy's following the action around steady oh, cam steady cam yeah. yeah you could feel the blend of it and it it was a nice mixture in a, a lot of the action sequences because they could pan out and like especially the again the opening sequence in the lemurian star where you know captain america jumps out of the jet quinjet and you know, one of the strike guys like, you wearing a parachute? And it's like, no, he's not. <laughs> and then and here he is just like, boosh! And then he's out. And then he runs around this ship and literally knocks out 20 guys in 90 seconds. I know because I counted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I ran it back and counted. But yeah. the, the blend of camera angles in that just made that scene feel so cool because like you know one scene it's a it's panned way out and you can see him running around the bow and then slide through and knock this guy over and now we're way off yeah, the side of the ship true. and you know he knocks this guy over the rail and then all of a sudden we're right up behind him as he rolls in and knocks this guy out and you know it was a a lot of it is the editing but it was done so smoothly and with such a blend of different angles and styles that it just felt cohesive that's true i gotta bump camera movement up a little bit just for that scene because it was very fluid and it was like just following him kicking just, ass yeah reeking yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, leading into that scene they're uh talking about counting guys leading into that scene you know they're like they we have 24 pirates they're you know hardened mercenaries led by this guy and i was like all right 25 how many does he take out in this scene and so i ran it back i was like okay okay Okay, okay, okay. 17, 18. Wait, no, that's just 17 again. He got back up. Like 18? <laughs> yeah. Scene's great. And yeah, it's just a, a great blend of all the, the different pieces that come together. The camera work and the lighting and the, you know, the dialogue that's occurring throughout and just the, all the pieces coming together. And uh, yeah, oh, George St. Pierre is, as Batroc. Most people would just be like, oh, yeah, he's he's the bad guy leader for this scene. But as soon as I saw that it was Batroc, I was like, oh, Batroc the leaper? Yes. <laughs> and he's this cheeseball character who's basically a, a thief, you know, soldier of fortune guy. But he's got this ridiculous purple and yellow outfit with like the mask that comes over with little black wingtips over his eyes. And I was like so excited. And I was like, oh, please be awesome. And he gets out there and, you know, this this MMA fighter. Which, you know, okay, he'll fight, cool. But then he's actually using a lot of the same techniques that Batroc uses, which is Savat, which is a it's a French kickboxing kind of. And you know, it's very much sweeping leg strikes and and being able to see that and basically overlay my comic book memories onto that scene. I was bouncing up and down like a little boy. <laughs> I was yeah. like, yes, yes, this is awesome. I don't care that he doesn't have the mask because that mask is stupid anyway. <laughs> so, bit of a non sequitur, I apologize. But... No, it's good information. I didn't know any of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's one of the strengths of the MCU is they, they put a lot of stuff in there that for people that have been following the comics for much of their lives, there's small little things that just enrich the experience, but they are not like a, a hey, hey. This is an Easter egg. Right. And it doesn't make other people feel left out just because they don't know. You know, it's it doesn't give it that kind of importance. They, they do a good job with Easter eggs, I guess, the, the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. And there's a lot of little touches that, that some people won't get, and that's okay. And other people bounce up and down in their seats <laughs> like, a, like a six foot three ten year old. <laughs> All right. <laughs> do you think uh, the Captain America movies have more of those? 
than the others? Um, I would. My all right. So my first instinct is yes, but that's because I've watched those most recently. <laughs> but there are a lot of little bits throughout all of the movies, and you know, it's like if if you don't know, then you don't know. You know, and like uh, the first Thor. You know, as Loki's walking through uh, the Asgardian treasure vault, and like just real up fo- front and out of focus, you know, this gold glove goes by, oh, and it's yeah. like, oh, that, that run it back. It's the Infinity Gauntlet, dude. Yeah. Look, look, it's the Infinity Gauntlet, and that was before you know Thanos was even really thought of within the the fabric of That's the right. MCU. Right. So a lot of the those little things like that add up for me. I get really excited, like a little too much. <laughs> but I'm in touch with my inner child and that's okay. All right. <laughs> uh, so on that note, what was everybody's uh, scores within the cinematography camera work? So for camera work, for me, it came out to 6.2, just like lighting. All right. And I scored it a 7.76. All right. And I was a 7.1. Man, I am such a downer. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right, so that's going to bring us to editing and special effects. This is definitely one of my stronger categories, but one thing that stood out for me as not as good as it could have been was the special effects. There was definitely some that really stood out for for good, but then there were things like the boat, when you see the boat in that really awesome scene with the pirates, which is great, but the actual boat itself like looks like... Doesn't even look like a model. Right. I mean, it looks like like the the CGI shots of Titanic, which was great in 1997. (laughs) This was I forgot to look at the year, but somewhere in the 20 teens, 2014, 2015. Uh, I believe it's 2014. Yeah. So, I mean, why? And I know I mean, the first Captain America, we talked in quite length about how bad the CGI was. Which was clearly, I That's mean, they right, must I have just, they must have just blown their budget on Skinny Steve Rogers, which they rarely showed in this movie. So I don't think they can use the same excuse. But that said, it was definitely a huge improvement from the first Captain America. Yeah. There were, I mean, there were a few things here and there. There was something else. I, I forgot to note what it was, but there Peggy was something. Carter's face. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not that? No. <laughs> I'm awful. When it comes to things like that, I'm like, I guess it's fine. I'm pretty bad at noticing. So on, bad. on that subject, it at first, like watching the scene, I was like, that's not very good old age, age makeup, you know, because I, I pay attention to a lot of practical effects stuff. And so yeah. it, it looked too shiny. And so I was like, well, is it CG? Is it not? Um, so I actually did a little bit of research on it uh, a couple weeks ago and found an interview with the VFX artist that kind of led that and the story of how they got her to look like old Peggy Carter was very interesting. They ended up trying prosthetics at first, but the, they were just too bulky. You know, the practical effects Mm -hmm. just weren't allowing her to convey the emotion that they were going for. And so they tried going with, uh, you know, mo-capping her face that didn't go so well. And what they ended up doing was they found a, um, an older woman who had very much the the same or similar bone structure and face had her shoot the scene. They Mm -hmm. captured it and then had uh, Haley Atwell shoot the scene and then just overlaid the skin texture from the older actress. And I thought it was, I was like that. I have never heard of that happening before. That's fascinating. Didn't work out too well. (laughs) 
but it's really cool. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I think faces are hard to do because we're so hardwired to look at faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we do it our entire life. So it's one of those things where if it's just slightly off. Yeah. Right. Unless you're me, apparently. And then I'm like, oh, it looks fine. It was a person. Yeah. I, I was paying attention to the lighting. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. There was just definitely a few scenes here and there where it was like, ooh, that's obvious green screen. There was. Or that's obvious CGI. Yeah, I did notice that when I think they first went into like the bunker where they were building the heli carriers. Yeah, I like, think that, that was the a little scene. Bit, which is exactly what they did in the first Captain America at all those scenes. Yeah. It wasn't as bad as that. No, this was definitely a marked improvement. Yeah. But it still wasn't great. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was still a little jarring. Luckily, they focused so much on more of like the hand-to-hand combat. I think that really saved it, yeah. too. Because, I mean, the fight scenes were phenomenal. Like, they were definitely well choreographed, well edited, uh, well shot. Like All of it was, was on point, which I think made up for a lot of the... Yeah. Uh, deficiencies uh, but but that said <laughs> I definitely uh, I still gave special effects a 5.5 which is I recognize very generous uh, largely because of the the huge improvement from the first one which is probably silly to <laughs> right. like, well, it, well it's not as bad as it was so I guess that means it met my expectations well I think, I think they did a good job of using the the special effects and the VFX to to sell that Captain America is able to do these things. Yeah. Like the, the escape from the Triskelion where he, you know, launches out of the parking garage on his motorcycle and then yeah. Quinjet slews around in front of him with the chain gun blasting. Oh, and then, yeah. and then he absolutely kicks the jet's ass. Yeah. Like just jumps off the bike and boom, and, you know, takes out engines with his shield and then right. goes flipping off. And it's like intellectually. Yes. I know that, that you know that Captain America didn't just launch himself off this motorcycle and punch a jet to death, <laughs> but like on screen, it's like badass. Captain America yeah. just launched himself off this motorcycle and punched a jet to death. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah, the the use of that to to embellish what the stuntmen are already doing and to to do things that you know they probably couldn't pull off yeah. with a physical person without you know causing great bodily harm. Right. I think they did a, a great job of those little touches and the shield looked great. Yeah, that's true. You know, as it's bouncing around and as the sound of it. I know we're going to get into yeah. that sound, but yeah. it's also a special effect in my heart. All right. <laughs> um, one thing that I will say about, and this is kind of a combination of, of script, camera work, editing, all of that. But one thing that I will say about the fight scenes well, I guess it's two things I'll say about the fight scenes. First of all, the death count of this movie. Oh, not yeah. Not just the bad guys, but, like, civilians. Like, how many people died in that chase scene with Nick Fury? We don't see it. But, like, truck drivers ramming into stuff at crazy high speeds. There's no way that truck driver survived. Surely he's he's gone. Oh, oh no. The trucks truck, are tough. That was a truck really? versus a sedan. Trucks have well, yeah, That's like a 28-foot box. Yeah. Bad, the people in the sedan were But bad. that was a high-seated, high like, 28-foot 20, box truck. So, I mean, the, the truck driver would have been fine. What I'm more okay. concerned about is the people that were waiting for the bus. Yeah, that And then that all too. of a sudden, there's a running gun battle across the bus stop. Right. <laughs> well, these guys were, like, worse than stormtroopers. I don't think a single bullet hit a single person in the entire city. A single bullet didn't hit a single target. That doesn't mean civilians didn't get I shot accidentally. Think I think <laughs> These are like stormtrooper rejects. They're so yeah. bad at shooting. No, there was definitely like a they high. couldn't even take down a red shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but even like 
I mean, even the number of people that Captain America took out, like, I mean, Marvel's always been, been not as, as dead set on the like, no kill rule as, right. as DC, which I kind of appreciate if you're a bad guy, like, I don't know. I mean, so a bad guy to an extreme. Kind of the definition of a bad guy. Right. It's kind of like, eh. so I don't know. I find it kind of annoying when like Superman is like, no, I won't kill this person that killed an entire planet is now here to kill this planet. No, I won't do it. He needs to go to space jail to be yeah. space performed. So yeah, so so I appreciate that they don't go that route, and yet at the same time, the kill count, my god, um, like he just killed everyone he touched. It seems, and then in addition they to were that, dead. Yeah, I think a lot of people were dead. They were laying on the ground groaning. <laughs> But then even just the the property damage, yeah. Like his, oh, yeah. his chase with to find the Winter Soldier, like like I get it. He essentially just just killed Nick Fury for for the purpose of the narrative of the story at that point. Like I get it. You want to find him, but he's like destroying office. At one point, I was like weirdly upset by this. <laughs> he like runs through an office building, needlessly jumps over a desk, and like papers go everywhere. And I'm just like. Poor person. Someone's going to come to work on Monday. Windows are broken. His desk, like, he had all these papers perfectly organized. Now they're just everywhere. There's probably missing pages. Maybe there was sensitive information on some of them. Now they're, like, out the window. Like, come on, man. It's going to be a bad Monday for that guy. Right? Um, So that kind of bothered me a bit. I would hope the boss would just give everyone a mulligan and be like, yeah, so apparently Captain America punched our (laughs) office to death. So, uh... You guys want to go get drinks? Yeah. Uh, sir, it's 9 a.m. I'm buying. Yeah. Well, on that note, was there anything um, either of you would like to add for the editing and special effects category? I thought the fight scenes were, uh, especially the elevator one where it was all hand-to-hand, was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, that's a, another big pet peeve of mine is where a fight scene, I'm doing air quotes right now. <laughs> I can hear them. A fight scene is really just lots of quick edits. Yeah, the Liam Neeson effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where it was 12 edits or 12 cuts for him to jump over a fence. Yeah. Yeah. Like stuff like that really annoys me. And this one, there was still a lot of cuts for my taste, but you could actually see like, here's a kick, here's a punch, and then there's a cut and then block a punch, block a punch, a cut. So it was like two or three things between most of the cuts, which is better than most movies. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, well, what was everybody's final score then, unless there's anything anyone wants to add? Um, I don't have anything to add other than reiterating what I've already said about the continuity and the pace. is just the movement of the story yeah. Ke- kept you interested, even in the quieter moments. And just having that driving force direction of, you know, we're on a ride. That was very entertaining. There's very little time to, to get bored. Even in the more expositionary sections, you know, it's like... I'm Robert Redford, being Robert Redford. You haven't seen me on screen in a while. Look at me. I'm a good guy for now. It kept my attention throughout. You know, I, I, even watching it for the fourth time, fifth time, sixth time at home, you know, it's like, if I need to be interrupted, I'm going to pause this movie. Like, yeah. Yes, child, what do you need? I'm watching a movie. Okay, I will help you. Yeah. Then I will come back to this. You know, there's so many films that you can just kind of like, eh, I'm messing around on my phone. I'm like, oh, right. I'm going to go get a snack. Do you need to pause it? No, nah, it's, it's fine. I don't yeah. need to watch this part. It's cool. I, I can hear it. Yeah. And this is just one of those movies that I don't want to miss anything because there's very, list, very little wasted time and wasted space. Fair and enough. that is refreshing in a lot of movies. 
All right. So Tristan, what was your final score for editing? Came out to 6.2 again. Third one in a row. All right. And I ended up with an 8.1. All right, and once again, I am uh, right in the middle as far as the scores go. I gave it a, a 7.8. Uh, would have been much, much higher, but the, the special effects really dragged it down. All right, so that's going to bring us to the sound category. Um, <laughs> I definitely have one weakness for this category, which I, I think, yeah. judging by Tristan's reaction over there, I think we're going to have the same one. So do you want to start us off? Yeah, it was um, probably 30, maybe 60 seconds into the movie turned to Rachel and said, hey, can you turn it up a few clicks? She does. And then about 10 seconds later, hey, can you turn it down a few clicks? Yeah. Yeah, the imbalance was, yeah. yeah. And, it, <laughs> and again, this is another one of those categories where I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this was an issue in the first yeah. one. Um, and I felt like this was a, a huge improvement. Like once you got past like the first act, I feel like things kind of leveled out. Yeah. Or maybe we just got used to it. I don't know. <laughs> our, our ears were already damaged at that point. <laughs> but it was definitely like, what are they saying? Let's turn it up. Oh, no, gunfire. Turn it yeah. down. Um, but then it kind of leveled out and it wasn't as much of an issue. But that's definitely the overall sound mix is is easily the lowest score for me. And overall sound design took a hit as well for the same reason. Yeah, I think it, it must be just hard to do with movies that have lots of guns. Because you want the guns to sound loud. Sure. And one way to do that is to make them the loudest and then bring everything down a little bit. Yeah, but you can still do that without losing the, the clarity. Yeah. And, and I'm... Yeah. I, I agree with you. Watching it at home, you know, I've got a... Not a great sound system, but, you know, a supplemental sound system. So it's just not not just TV volume. And Yeah, that's what we have too, yeah. Yeah, and it's like all of a sudden the bass is just booming. And you're like, oh, turn that down. Yeah. yeah, that's a bit much. <laughs> right. And I'm sure like seeing it in the theaters, I'm sure it sounded amazing. Uh, but transferring it to to home release, at least without it, mean, maybe if you have an awesome surround sound professional setup in your home, yeah. I'm sure you can get it to sound great. Maybe if you've got 50 speakers and 5000 watts right. audio <laughs> yeah. processing. Exactly. Then maybe. And like I understand that movies are, are made to like optimized for the big screen but i think it's awfully short-sighted to do something with especially with sound where it's like well this is going to sound really great with the proper equipment if you don't have the proper equipment good luck like that just seems yeah. short-sighted at the very least remix it for for home release and just have like a basic you know that's i don't know i mean that's getting complicated and expensive i'm sure but like it was pretty pretty bad at the beginning at least yeah I think that it was more noticeable than any other MCU movie we've seen so far. It was more noticeable, but happened less often than in the first cut. I remember there were like three or four specific scenes mm -hmm. in Captain America, the first Avenger, where it was like, I can't hear anything they're saying. Let's crank it up. But then remember to turn it down when the scene's over. Uh, but the, I think the discrepancy wasn't quite as much. This one, it was definitely like, oh, I can't hear. Let's turn it up. Oh, my God, my ears hurt. Our neighbors are going to get mad. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> One thing I noticed about this movie, and I'm not sure if it's storytelling or score and soundtrack, but Captain America actually has his own theme, and yeah. I recognized it, which... <laughs> For the MCU, that's... Yeah, that's, 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 yeah, that's, that's saying a lot. Yeah. I did think I put under, under score and soundtrack, I, I knocked <clears throat> it into the Exceeds Expectations category, and I gave it a 6.5, but it still it seemed a little generic. I mean, we do get the Captain America theme, and that's great, and I feel like it gets the right emotions across throughout. Right. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. 
Um, but I think kind of similar to to like the voiceover that we were talking about before, I feel like at times, especially in the more emotional scenes, it's like, let's play this music and get the get the right emotions across. And it's like it's a little heavy handed. So I don't know. I have kind of mixed feelings, but I do think it's one of the stronger scores within the MCU. It's no Avengers, uh, which I think is is probably always going to take the take the prize for best in my book, unless I'm forgetting something that happens a lot too. Thor is pretty good too, but not as good as the Avengers. Anyway. No, Avengers <laughs> is like really, I mean, even for me, like the only really memorable, significant piece of music from the MCU. Yeah. I mean, there's a, re- like I use the the Avengers theme song for every Marvel Monday because I'm like, no one's going to recognize. Yeah. I just, I mean, maybe Captain America, maybe Thor, but like Iron Man, does he even have a theme, you know? And like. Yeah, it's Black Sabbath. Right. I mean, that's what I would have to go with. Um, So I was, from the very beginning, I I was like, I'm just going to use the Avengers theme because people will hear it and they'll know Marvel. I've got got a Pandora station that I've been cultivating for the last few years, and it's all soundtrack pieces. And, you know, the MCU movies are those things that pop up, and I'm like, what is this? (laughs) I mean, I like it, but I'm not sure I recognize it. It's like, oh, yeah, this is from... This is from Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yeah. I recognize that. Or that's from Doctor Strange. I don't remember hearing it, but I like it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, it's it's a really pleasing coat of paint on the walls of the MCU. Yeah. It's it's when you notice it, you're like, yeah, I like that. But you're not going to be like, you know, and the walls were just like the nicest shade of eggshell. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you're looking at it, it looks great. After that, it's just there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to talk more about the uh, Captain America's theme song, and then I realized I don't even remember what it was. I don't remember what it is either. I was trying to yeah. think it when it was there, like yeah. you said, and then. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to remember it, and like the only thing that kept coming up was Jurassic Park, and I'm like, that is yeah. not it. <laughs> <laughs> Different franchise. Yes. Um, I believe that's all I've got for sound, other than what I said earlier with the, the shield sounds yeah you know it's like the the resonance of it you know you can you can yeah. hear the the special alloy as it bounces off the walls yeah and you're just like yeah that's that's exactly what that would sound like or uh when bucky's you know or when the winter soldier's flexing his metal arm yeah. and you can hear the plates kind of clinking together a little bit and it, it's just as a kid it's things that i you know had wondered at the time as I'm reading these comics with dudes with cyborg arms and, you know, magic hammers and like they, you know, they write out sound effects, but even that's a little open to a little bit of interpretation. It's right. like, you know, like, well, what's the inflection of thraka kraka badoom? But the, for the sound design on, on those little elements, it definitely, I recognized it as, yeah, that is what that would sound like. You know, and the, the work they did there was appreciated by me. Yeah, I do think that what, what the MCU lacks in, in score and soundtracks, they, they definitely make up for with the, the sound effects. Like, yeah, I would agree with that like yeah. fully. Every, every character has a unique sound, and that's part of what makes the first Avengers so exciting. You've got like, oh, there's Thor's hammer, there's the shield, there, oh, here's this and that. And you have all these different elements right. coming together to form this like unique soundscape. And then it has a great score and soundtrack on top of it, which it was a nice touch. But I mean, even just the sounds of the characters is, or, or their weapons or whatever, makes up for a lot of, of the weaknesses. Yeah. So out of this category, or out of all the categories, this one is my lowest. I ended up with 6.8. Yeah, this is my lowest as well, because it got two threes. 
ooh, what were the three? Score and soundtrack and sound mix? Yep. Sorry, I asked, and then I was like, oh, I can figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mine wasn't too bad. Mine came out to a six, though. I got 5.4. Yeah. Uh, So that's going to bring us to aesthetics. I have some things to say. Um, (laughs) Go on, girl, dish. So one category (laughs) got really low for me, and it's... I swear I'm not usually the kind of person that notices things like this, but the MCU has has made some egregious offenses, and this is one of the worst. (laughs) And that's hair. And there were a couple things that bothered me. Um, The first is, they're both pretty silly, but the first is, where on earth did they find an exact replica of the councilwoman's hair in wig form on such short notice with no money? Like, why did she have that wig? I guess that's kind of more of a prop as well as hair. Or did she just steal her scalp? <laughs> I mean, that makes as much sense as any. Um, she has a walk-in closet full of, like, a hundred hairstyles. <laughs> She's like a Roger from American Dad. She just has her disguise room. But yeah, so that that knocked the score down. But the, the biggest offense for me, and this is, this is along the same lines as... Natasha's ringlets in Iron Man 2 where she just randomly went from like kind of wavy hair to like now I'm in my Black Widow costume I have magically super curly hair for no reason like that made no sense um this was slightly less um of an offense than that but she's got that super straight hair the whole movie and I was totally willing to be like maybe she got like whatever it's called when it's not a perm I know there's a word for it, but like maybe she just like maybe she just has straight hair now all of a sudden I I can I can be on board with this, whatever. Yeah. But then you see the scene where like she had just showered and she has wet hair and it's totally wavy. Yeah. And then a nice wave, a little body to it. And then later she's just like straight. Right. While they're on the run and at Sam's house. So I'm like, I'm like, a, I mean, (laughs) like the only, the only explanation I can think of is either she carries a hair straightener around with her all the time for no apparent reason. Probably like a combat hair straightener. though. (laughs) Hair straightener slash taser. But she didn't even have her Black Widow costume. Because I feel like Tristan made that same joke or a similar joke. Like, oh, yeah, she's got those, like, electric things. She can use those to curl her hair really fast. And I'm like... (laughs) exactly how electricity works. But, like... See it on cartoons all the time. Just put your finger in its light socket. Yeah. Your hair's got body. Yeah, but she didn't even have her costume with her. So you want me to, to believe she had a hair straightener with her? No way. And there's no way Sam has a hair straightener at his house. And even if he did, why does she care enough to straighten her hair? If anything, she should she should go back to the ringlets and have because like she's on the run. Change your look up. Cut all your hair off. Shave your head. Do something. Don't just straighten your hair again. Like what the my suspension of disbelief was completely shot. As soon as you see her hair curly while wet. Flying aircraft carriers, okay. Those are big fans. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but straight hair while on the run. No. No. That was ridiculous. No. Like, absolutely ridiculous. So I gave hair a two, and I don't regret it. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. So I gave hair a five, because people had hair. <laughs> and for the most part, it didn't look terrible. Yeah, that's pretty much what I did. <laughs> I think that's what, what it usually comes down to for me. Yeah. Does the hair look pretty much appropriate? I mean, I... My wife's a hairdresser. You guys know that. So I notice hair, yeah. but I'm very good at noticing it, noting it, and then throwing it out the window. 
as as most sane people do. I don't know. I don't know when I became this person, but it was ridiculous. I do not regret my two. <laughs> uh, on a similar note for makeup, I gave it a little bit of a low score, largely because, um, and this might just be me being mean. I'm not sure. Um, in fact, it probably is just me being mean, but Robert Redford didn't look great. I don't know. He just looked like a man in his seventies. He looked like a man in his hundreds. He, I mean, it was he a smoker. He probably was if he was famous in the seventies. Yeah. Probably. Like those were some hardcore wrinkles. Well, I guess there's only so much you can do, but I feel like they could have given him a little makeup. Yeah. I mean, I know he's an old man. I'm not trying to be mean, but like, like that wasn't just normal skin damage. That, that wasn't like, normal old man. No. Like, there's something wrong with that old man. Like he must've been like smoking two packs a day for 30 years to get wrinkles like that or something or, or time in the sun, a lot of time in the sun. I don't know. I'm not. Tr- I'm really not trying to be mean. It was just distracting every time I saw him. So I was like, "That's like my grandparents are in their 70s. They don't look like that." <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Now I'm just being mean. I might cut this out, but <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, those are my notes on hair and makeup. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Makeup. I gave it a five because you know people mostly looked like people would. Yeah. There was not not a whole lot of special makeup involved. Yeah. You know, uh, the Winter Soldier's smoky eyes. <laughs> yeah. You know, which makes sense. You know, he's got the, the goggles with the face mask thing. Got to fill in the cracks. Otherwise, be like, I'm sorry. I, I know we're fighting, but I can see the bridge of your nose, and it's like really white. <laughs> but then everything else is dark. It's, it's, it's really distracting. <laughs> can I just punch you right there real quick? <laughs> Yeah, makeup was was fine. Costumes, yeah. I did score a ten. I, I loved ten. the the different costumes. I mean, you know, Nick Fury's leather trench coat with the shoulder uh, holster, but more than anything, the the Captain America suit not not the the classic one that he ends up wearing in the the third act, but the basically it's all right. So in the comics, at one point, uh, Captain Mar- after the winter soldier had come back and had defeated his brainwashing captain America, Steve Rogers died for a while as they do. Yeah. And so in that time period, um, Bucky Barnes ended up becoming captain America. And so he, you know, took up the mantle and the shield and, and filled that role for a while. And then, uh, and eventually Steve Rogers, you know, came back because he was lost in the time stream because he was assassinated with a special time travel bullet. I don't know. Comic books. Sometimes it's bullshit. (laughs) But when he came back, he did not take the mantle back. He became Steve Rogers, super soldier. And eventually during this time period also came to head shield. Like he was, you know, the, the Marvel universe's top cop. And in that time period, he was wearing exactly what, Steve is wearing in the the first parts of this movie where he's basically like a dark, dark blue, slightly armored suit with just a white star in the center. I mean, seeing that costume, I was like, yes, awesome. It's a super soldier <laughs> costume. And then later when he, you know, gets his world war two costume from the Smithsonian, I'm like, yes, awesome. It's the, yeah. <laughs> so I was very into it. I thought the, the winter soldier was some great costume design with the, the metal arm and just the, the way it looked so fluid and real. And for me, it's like, he just stepped off the page. You know, I, I think that it all 
looked really great. Hearing that Falcon was going to be a part of the movie like early on, I wasn't sure how it was going to go because in the comics, it's a dude in a wingsuit. You know, he's like flying, but he doesn't have like a jetpack. It's just he's got wings on his costume, so he flies. So the the way they went, the technological path they took to get there with this movie was was really cool. And I think it looked great. Absolutely. I agree. I, I liked the costumes quite a bit. I didn't go the perfect 10 route largely because um, I felt like they spent a little bit too much time in their street clothes, which plot wise, yeah. narratively, it made sense. So I was I was OK with that. But then when they finally get their uniforms back and we see them fighting, we got Black Widow stuck in like a Laura Bush business suit. <laughs> very tasteful for the rest of the movie and i'm like i was so excited at the beginning of the movie because we find we see her in her costume she's actually using her like you know black widow stingers that we didn't see her use at all in avengers and i'm like all right we're gonna finally get her being black widow not just like whatever and we got like that one scene and that's it and then she's not in her black widow uniform for the rest of the movie and i was like come on this this category would have been much stronger if we just got more black widow or, I mean, we have plenty of Black Widow, but more of the uniform. Um, so I was disappointed at the... I guess I was mostly just disappointed in the Laura Bush suit. <laughs> like, in retrospect there, I mean, there's definitely things that I could complain about when it comes to costuming, but I I love what they got right so much that yeah. I'm willing to forgive. Like I said earlier, these people are incognito. Put a ball cap on. Right. Yeah, get the Clark Kent glasses at one point. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like that like that bearded genius bar guy wouldn't be like, oh, Steve Rogers. Yeah. You're like, I have been Aaron. <laughs> no, no. He'd be like, You're Captain America. That means you're a black widow. I saw you on TV fighting aliens. Yeah. Right. You should see my fan page that I set up on Geocities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also gave the costumes a really high score. There's a few categories where even if I really like it, I feel awkward giving it like a perfect 10 just because I'm not as familiar with the comic books. So I I wouldn't want to give something a perfect 10 for something that anyone who knows what they're talking about would say that's not at all what it's supposed to be like. If that makes sense, that was a very long-winded way of... Yeah, but I mean, if if it spoke to you and you felt that it was outstanding and awesome and you can't think of anything you'd change then that doesn't make your 10 any less valid than someone's 10 who does have that knowledge of the source material. <laughs> maybe, I'll, just maybe I'll change my policy. Right. I'm just saying. But yeah, I, I gave it a nine because I, I really like how there's so many different people and each one has their own look. And even the, like, I really like the Winter Soldier, but even the, the people who aren't like main characters, like in the elevator scene, those were a bunch of brutes, like a bunch of dudes who, are going to beat him up or plan to at least. Yeah. And, and that was very well cast and, and everyone like what they were wearing looked good. And that was just a really good scene in a lot of ways. Even Before we get started, awesome. does anyone want to get off? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great scene. Yeah. So I gave it uh, a nine for costumes. I also like the sets and locations. A lot of it was kind of, um, I don't know, just like real office buildings and like the mall and things. Those looked fine but i really like the uh secret shield base and yeah. the secret hydra base within the secret shield base yeah. within the military base yeah that was that was a really cool place yeah yeah i, I gave uh sets and locations an eight myself 
mainly for those. The secret double secret base in the defunct military base was really cool. The secret helicarrier hangar where Project Insight was being built looked really cool, even if super green screening. You know, I was able to to forgive some of that just the the scale they were going for. You know, I, I can't fault them for for reaching high on that one. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I all the physical sets they had were great and seeing Steve Rogers literally run through an office like doors and all just like <laughs> boosh, boosh, boosh. Office employees. I'm like I've wanted to leave work that way sometimes <laughs> one thing I, I did note and I kind of took points off of the sets and locations as well as the the props categories and part of this is just because there was a mall scene so that's not I don't know that's not necessarily a fair complaint but there was a lot of product placement in this movie more so than I've noticed in any Smithsonian aside from that joke there i mean i mean there was the mall but i mean but it was a mall so that was realistic but even like when they were in the the apple store and it's just all the mac things yeah and they don't even show like a sign that they're in an apple store like i think there was even like a fake logo like they were somewhere else but they still had but i could be wrong but i didn't recognize the logo that was supposed to be of the store and then there's all these mac computers it would have been more fun if they're all like stark books right <laughs> that would have been great yeah or something isn't there another i guess that's more in like the the um netflix shows but what's the other one i feel like there's some Watch other on? yeah i think so yeah, you, you would know into, more than me get into technologies yeah rocks on could work yeah i feel like there's there's a couple different routes um but yeah and then just have macbooks was like Okay, but but that was still all within a mall, so whatever. But then, like all the car scenes, of course, you get the obligatory. Like here's the Toyota logo yeah. um, for for every single car. You have to see the logo, and and there was something else that now I'm forgetting. There was some other product placement as well. It just seemed like a lot. And I'm usually like we were watching. I think it was Blade Runner, and there's so much product placement in that movie. And aside from like the giant Coke billboard, I was like that one I noticed, and everything else. I like genuinely didn't notice the product placement because I just I just get sucked in and I don't pay attention. And this one just seemed like there was a lot. Yeah, I don't really notice much product placement unless it's literally being rubbed in my face or if it's something that I'm intimately familiar with, like the uh, the first Transformers movie when the Allspark cubes going crazy and all of a sudden this Xbox grows legs. It's like, <laughs> I hear the Xbox 360 startup sound. I was like, I know what that is. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like the Captain America meme. I, I understand that reference. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't really get mad about product placement because I don't really notice it much. Yeah. See, Unless, unless it's way, ultra blatant. If it looks like yeah. a car commercial when really it's supposed to be a chase. Right. Yeah. See, that's some were, crap. There, there was a couple of moments. Shots. Yeah. Not throughout. The chasing still held their own. It was still awesome. Yeah. But it reminded me of like the X-Files episodes where oh, every yeah. single episode they drive a Mustang or or some sort of... Um... stupid little horsey car. <laughs> That's what I'm calling them from now on because of one episode where at that least was... 20 times the car like stops inches away from the camera. Yeah. And it's like the full screen is just that stupid little horsey logo. That was a season 11 episode though, so let's not even think about that. At least not for a long counts. time. We'll get there eventually, but not for years. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But even in the, or, like, that's always been a staple of X-Files is, like, every time they rent a car. I think it was a Taurus in the originals. Yeah. It, was it wasn't a, yeah, it wasn't the Mustang. Yeah, I don't um, think the FBI would spring for a Mustang. 
Yeah, until season 11, and then they do, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, so so that's kind of what it reminded me of. <clears throat> so so more so props. Props got a harsher score than sets and locations. But I did really like that we, we get to see Black Widow use her, her tasers or whatever they're called. And I thought from the beginning, I was like, oh, we're finally going to get to see this. And it's like, oh, no, it was just that one scene. Oh, yeah, okay. it was a great scene. But a yeah, great scene. Definitely need more of that. Yeah. Uh, and they're kind of along the same lines as the wig. Like, where did she get that jewelry? Did they like rob a jewelry store and a wig store? And a clo- <laughs> like, they're not using any money. They can't use money. They'll get tracked. Like, they're on the run with no money. And she found this perfect disguise. That whole thing. And even the mask. Where did they get that? There's no shield anymore. Did she just have that? Well, they did break into the military base to steal the uh, jetpack thing. They That's totally true. skipped over that, so maybe well, there's yeah. no. I believe there's a there's like a throwaway line from Nick Fury about a uh, like a secret or from Maria about a like a secret cache of stuff that they're holding that on to. That includes a disguise for the councilwoman. The mask I get. Well, no, the mask but. would just be like a like a camouflage. You know, you map yourself well, yeah. to that person. It wasn't like a. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that I get. Like I get that that would be there. But not the wig. Oh, no. She'd definitely have to rob in Macy's or something for that. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you think about it, this is like some deep undercover organization who infiltrates organizations and it's all spy stuff. But she's on their team. They have like... Well, that's exactly who you need to uh, be able to replace if necessary. I guess. And what (laughs) happened to her? Did we... Because at one point I was like, well, maybe she like kidnapped her and just stole her clothes and left her naked somewhere. <laughs> she's tied never... up in an alley. Yeah, but she's a good guy. So I don't know. That whole thing, just just have her sneak around in the Black Widow thing and, and strike it when It felt necessary. like a senseless twist. Exactly. Yeah. Which I would have been on board with if we had seen her in costume throughout the whole movie. And then it's like, oh, this is an interesting twist. And then I'm like, now we just have Black Widow in a weird suit and not that's true because she's never in costume at any other time other than any movie. right it's other just that well in avengers she's in her black widow costume the whole time i, I mean she's not in disguise oh yeah she's always black widow or natasha i mean she was in disguise technically in iron man 2 just not as someone else she was just yeah. had a fake identity but yeah um hmm. i don't know so that that whole thing. I don't mean to reiterate it, but that whole plot line kind of bothered me. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, on that note, um, should we give our total scores for aesthetics or is there anything else anyone wants to add? Nothing further. No. Aesthetics for me came out to yet another 6.2. All right. And I ended up at 7.6 and that was almost entirely based on props and costumes. Fair enough. Uh, mine came to a 5.7. Uh, which is easily my lowest score for anything in the whole grid. <laughs> it was really the <laughs> the hair brought it down <laughs> quite a bit. Because the I mean, hair and makeup were, were pretty low, and everything else was in the exceeds expectations and outstanding range. Um, but then overall, it just met expectations. Everything kind of evened out because of the low hair and makeup scores, which I, I do not regret. No regrets. All right, so then that's going to bring us to the impact on a film section. Um, and this one uh, is divided up into critical impact, audience quote impact, and historical inspirational impact. And I guess I'll start this off by asking Tristan, did you just copy my scores? Well, you haven't given them yet, so I haven't yet. <laughs> yes. Oh, I always thought you looked at my at my spreadsheet and you just wait till <laughs> I talk about I them. 
All right. So you won't go first then. Um, Brian, is there anything, anything you wanted to say within this or should I take the lead? Um, as far as the critical impact, I remember it having a, a positive critical impact. I think more what I would have to say is probably what you're going to cover and more of the inspirational impact and kind of the influence that this film had on the larger Marvel universe going down the road. So I'll, I'll let you take the lead on that one. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Um, so for critical impact, I gave it a seven out of 10, uh, which is just based on the Metacritic score. I believe it was like a 6.8 or a 68, which I then divided by 10 um, and rounded up. That still, that seems a bit low. Cause like you were saying, I, I remember it having um, very positive critical reviews um, but I just went with the Metacritic score for that one. And then audience and cult impact. Uh, I went very specific on this one uh, and gave it an 8.6. Um, I basically took several different audience, uh, audience scores mm. and converted them and averaged them out, um, which is how I got the 8.6. Um, cause it was a little all over the place more so than most Marvel movies. Usually it's like, Oh, everything's pretty much between like a 7.5 and an eight. Uh, and this one had a little bit more range depending on which site I went to, hmm. uh, which is why I went with such a specific. Um, I decided not to average up or down on that one. Um, and then for historical and inspirational impact, this one I gave up a five out of 10, which might be a little bit low. Um, I mean, I do think it's, you know, it's an MCU movie and it's a very popular MCU movie. So that, you know, gives it a couple points right off the bat. And it definitely you know, it took down S.H.I.E.L.D. It changed the, I mean, I know this is more, you know, very specific as far as inspirational impact to the MCU, um, but it's such a big franchise. I think that's that's worth talking about that it, I mean, it changed the direction of, of every narrative to come after it. And and even down to like the, the TV shows, especially, I mean, like I said earlier, we were in the middle of season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when they took down S.H.I.E.L.D. That's crazy, um, but they made it work which I think is really interesting. And we mentioned earlier, like stuff with the genre, this was the first time where it was like, oh, this doesn't have to just be a superhero genre. Let's take in these other things and make it more about those other things and sprinkle on the superhero stuff. Um, this was really the first time we had seen that done. So I think as far as, um, you know, not just the MCU, but superhero movies in general, I think kind of it, it changed the genre a bit there and I guess that's really about all that I have of note and I actually I, I originally given it a five out of ten and I think I'm gonna after talking about it out loud um, I'm gonna bump it up to uh, well, 6.5 out of 10. I was gonna say that was not the talk of a five. Yeah <laughs> I, it seemed like a five when I was rating it yesterday and then and then talking out loud um, yeah 6.5 I think is, is a little more accurate. So I went with uh, for historical and crit or historical inspirational I actually gave it a nine. Um, right. I think that that this film was the the first inkling of the MCU becoming a family of films and not just you know movies based on characters that are going to build a larger narrative. It uh, it is the first time that you see a Marvel movie kind of spreading out and being more than just this is what this character is about. You know, it, it as we said before, it's a it's a some political espionage thriller. You know, there's there's deceit and, the, you know, the good guys are on the run from their own allies. And then turns out, oh, no, you know, big twist. Turns out the, the good guys have been infiltrated by the bad guys since, you know, the since World War Two. Hydra has been at the core of S.H.I.E.L.D. this whole time. That is like the, the first example of that kind of thinking. And I think it gives so much more depth to the, to the MCU because it's not just like boring stuff. 
or, or it's not the same story over and over, even though in many cases, like the newer movies are origin stories. They are not reiterations. It's like Dr. Strange. Yes. It's an origin story. It's also a little bit Harry Potter. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. Yes, it's a Thor movie. So it starts out, you know, there's like the, the mythic aspect to it. And then all of a sudden it's a sci-fi buddy cop film with him and the Hulk. And, yeah. you know, it's it's directors being able to stretch out and give the films a narrative voice that crosses lines and comes at you from unexpected directions. I think that started with Captain America, the Winter Soldier and the Russos. And yeah. also the how integral the Russo brothers have become, you know, yeah, from, really from this about. movie, you know, they moved from here and then Civil War and Civil War was a basically Avengers 2.5. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think the the critical shortfall on Avengers 2, I think a lot of people were felt a little let down by that one. Oh, yeah. Um, I still really enjoyed the film. I do, too. It's yeah, it you know, it a harsh rap. I've got it. Absolutely. It, does it have its issues? Yes. Yeah. But I think following that and, uh, you know, the the buzz from this movie leading into Civil War, the Russos really kind of show that they know these characters, they know this universe, they know this world. And I think that having them step into the role of directing, you know, Infinity War and moving into Avengers 4, I think you can kind of see that first stepping stone here with the the love and care that's put into these characters and crafting not a good Captain America movie, but a good movie that Captain America is in. And I think that's a, a an important thing to to take away from this movie is is that it's a catalyst for a lot of things that came after. Not yeah. not necessarily in storytelling, but just in the wider what the MCU is. And I'm thankful for it. Absolutely. Well said. <laughs> you can't hear this, but I'm patting myself on the back right now. So what was that? What did those average out for you for for impact on film? I ended at eight point eight three. All right. And how about you, Tristan? Thief? Uh, I think I copied what you said, but I may not have gotten it exactly. So it averaged out to uh, 733. I don't know what you changed. Very close to mine, 7.37 for me. Did you just round (laughs) up on the 6? Or you probably rounded up on the 8.6? Yeah, I did. Well, the important thing is I still had the lowest score. Brian still (laughs) had the highest, and you had the middle score. That's uh, pretty accurate. Keep the trends rolling. All right, so then that brings us to the overall enjoyment category. Um, so uh, let's start with you, Tristan, uh, since you seem to be on the, the lower end of the three of us. Did you enjoy this movie? I did. I enjoyed this quite a bit, a lot more than the first uh, Captain America movie, a lot more than I expected to. The fight scenes, especially the first one on the uh, Lemuria. The Lemurian star. Lemurian star, yeah, on the boat. Uh, that was a really cool fight scene. It was a lot of movement. It was just really good, really enjoyable. I also really like that Steve Rogers is a much more interesting character in this one and uh, has a lot more interaction with the other characters. That was really fun to see. And I also really liked that this one had, I think, a pretty good idea or, or, or premise or, or, or something that it's working with where the good guys are, you know, we're the good guys, so what we do is good. And having these guns in the air pointed at everyone is a good thing because we're the good guys. And, you know, that kind of thinking happens a lot in real life. And this is an example of why that's not a good way to do things because, you know, 
people make mistakes. You know, the weapons that you create for yourself could be used against you. I don't know. I just think that's uh, an interesting thing to happen in a movie. Much more interesting than Nazis are bad. Let's go kill Nazis. Uh, So what did you rate it for overall enjoyment? Uh, Seven out of ten. All right. How about you, Brian? Ten. All right. Not surprised. No, not at all. Um, (laughs) And yes, I'm biased. I love the character. I've loved the character for couple decades now and seeing seeing a live action big studio version of the type of captain america story that is my favorite i i I was a 10 year old boy and i was just so excited and everything that happened i was like yay and every little easter egg i'm like yay (laughs) and uh, even rewatching it and i rewatched it with my son a couple weeks ago and you know it's it's just a good movie, you know, thinking about all the what I was saying about the historical impact and, and just the, the wider meaning that this piece of the MCO kind of led to. Yeah, I just it's a great movie. I love it. I would watch this over Thor 2 any day. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if that's the qualification, I'll give it a 10 out of 10. As well. <laughs> I give overall enjoyment a 7 out of 10 as well, matching you, Tristan. Um, I definitely like this movie way more than the first Captain America. It was it was fun and it was entertaining. And I like the themes that it explores as far as like, you know, valuing friendship over like the more romantic things like we talked about earlier. Right. Like I, I guess it's not necessarily so much a theme as just the narrative type that it goes with. Um, I thought that was really well executed. And um, just the, the characters that they put with with Steve Rogers, because I thought he was a much more interesting character in this movie than we've seen in either Avengers or the first Captain America. And I think it's largely um, because of who they, they play him against. You know, you see him, his conversations with Nick Fury, his conversations with Natasha, his conversations with Sam, and, and even with Bucky, even though they're, you know, those are more of an antagonistic-ish right. type scenes. Um, like just that the dynamics that he has with every other character is is really interesting and, and gives his character a lot more depth than we've seen so far. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I also just love seeing Maria Hill some more. Like, that was great. Not enough Maria Hill. Not nearly enough, but more than we've seen. Uh, I think more than we've seen in, in any... She wasn't in Avengers very much either. No. So this is, this is easily the most we've seen of her. In general, she needs to be around more. Oh, yeah. I would just see... Like, like, just give us a movie with her and, and Fury and maybe throw a few other people in there. Like... Yeah. I would watch that or make her a regular in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for crying out loud. She has a TV background. Like, <laughs> like I've been saying that from the beginning. That's one of the reasons I stopped watching the show, although now I'm starting to rewatch it because of this podcast. But, like, put her in. Yeah. Let her play, coach. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe she doesn't want to do it. I don't know. But, yeah, so just we need more Maria Hill. But seeing her in the scenes we get, like, she just has some some great scenes and uh, yeah, so just the, the overall enjoyment still, you know, I think largely because it's not my genre. Like I'm not a big political thriller espionage kind of fan, um, but I thought they did a really good job working within that genre with the characters. Like everything was, was very well executed, much more so that we talked a lot in Iron Man 3 about how it's like, oh, this is just an action movie that kind of has superheroes in it. So I guess they kind of played with genre a little bit, but I felt like it was not particularly effective because um, they just valued the action over everything else, whereas this was was not that at all. It yeah. played with genre right. more, and right. um, the genre didn't overshadow the superheroes. It just gave us a new perspective. Um, so for all of those reasons, uh, maybe I'll even go 
I'm going to go 7.5 out of 10 because yet again, talking about it out loud, I'm realizing I, I like more than I thought. Um, so I'm going to go 7.5, give it a little boost. All right, so now on to the, uh, the extra credit. Did either of you give Captain America the Winter Soldier any extra credit? Yes, I gave uh, three points of extra credit. Well, I gave it a three, and I know it rounds it down to 1.5. Yeah. Um, that's based on the fact that we got a live screen adaptation of one of my very favorite Captain America storylines, which is the Winter Soldier. You know, in, in Marvel Comics, death is a revolving door. And for the longest time, it's like, nobody's dead forever, except for Uncle Ben and Bucky. <laughs> I was like, the two. Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden there's this mysterious new villain and then you're like oh shit apparently the only one that stays dead now is uncle ben <laughs> and it was so it think. was <laughs> true in the next villain <laughs> <laughs> seeing the adaptation of that and to to see it built with such love and care and all of the the things we've talked about with the you know playing with genres and such um i just yeah i, I gave it a little something extra fair enough how about you, Tristan? I give it two points. One for something kind of silly and one for something that I've already mentioned. There's a scene where uh, they're all crammed into a car and the Winter Soldier attacks them. They're driving down the freeway and they like jump out of the car or get blown out or ripped out or whatever. And Steve Rogers is in his street clothes and he holds on to the door and uses that as a shield as they jump out of the car, <laughs> yeah. which is like his signature move in the movies at least i don't know i thought that was kind of yeah absolutely it's like wait kind of worth that, the point. that car door has arm straps on it <laughs> <laughs> it's like no I, I just burrowed my arm into the door panel yeah. okay yeah sure he's practiced with all the other car doors that he's yeah. over the years. <laughs> true story so i give it a point for that and then i also give it a point for what i mentioned earlier like the idea the shield says, we're the good guys, therefore what we're doing is good. And Steve Rogers is looking at it as, no, that's a bad thing to do. That makes you the bad guys if you do that. And that's something that I've seen happen in real life a lot. People do that with like the religious beliefs. They're, they'll say, well, I'm a religious person. I belong to this religion. I go to this church or whatever. Therefore, what I'm doing is good. And I do good things. But then if you look at the actual actions, it's like, no, that doesn't sound very good. Or like uh, here in the United States with... Uh, Guantanamo Bay, when it was revealed that we were like torturing people, a lot of people were saying torture is bad. If you torture, you're a bad person. We don't want to be bad guys, so let's stop torturing. But then the people who seemed to be defending it, as far as I could tell, they were thinking, no, we're the United States. We're the good guys. What we're doing is good. This they're is the torture with a purpose. Yeah, yeah, they're the bad guys. What's happening to them is deserved. They deserve this. We're the good guys. What we're doing is good. You know, once I started looking at things that way or noticing that distinction, that actually happens a lot. And it was really cool to see it in a movie and it was done in such a very clear way. Like that's clearly what they're doing. So I give it a point for that. So I gave uh, I gave a total of one and a half points for kind of two things. I gave a full point of extra credit, pretty much just for Maria Hill. <laughs> I, <laughs> I kind of started to get into this with the overall enjoyment and I kind of restrained myself because I wanted to save it for this category. Um, the reason I did a full point of extra credit is because first of all, she's in it. She's in it a 
decent amount, relatively speaking. And she kicks ass. My favorite part, there's there's this one scene where she's like, I don't even remember what she was doing. She was doing something with computers. Oh, yeah. She was like watching the security cameras. Yeah. Because they were launching the helipads. Yeah. So she's like trying to keep everything in control from like a computer. And then like two of the bad guys come in and she like looks over at the door with like almost rolling her eyes casually rolls back in her like cheap wheelchair shoots them and pulls back up to the computer like nothing happened <laughs> and just like her facial expressions the pace everything about that sam's like she she ain't got time for no one like she yeah. she doesn't care like it was just great so i loved like that scene in and of itself was fantastic um, and then the reason I did a full point instead of just a half point like I usually do is because then at the end, there's like a montage where you kind of see where everybody's going, which eh, montage. But you see her in Stark Industries, like taking a lie detector test. And it's like this oh, right. just a little hint because I haven't read many comic books, but one of them that I have read deals with like Nick Fury goes underground, Stark Industries takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. And, you know, Tony Stark is basically the new Nick Fury and he instates uh, Maria Hill to like lead everything so I guess she's kind of the new Nick Fury but he's like over her yeah and it's and she's badass and it's amazing and I'm like yes we get there's some really good Maria Hill stories that come out of that time period of comics oh I mean I mean that's it's pretty much the only Maria Hill comic that I read but it's the reason mm-hmm. why I'm like she's amazing um it's some good stuff so so yeah so just seeing that even though they really uh, from what I recall at least there's a lot of um, a lot of phase two and even phase three Marvel movies that I pretty much only saw in theaters and haven't gone back to. So maybe it's hinted at later. I know it gets hinted at in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I'll talk about a few Marvel Mondays from now um, when I do a season one recap. Um, you know, so it gets hinted at here and there, but we haven't really seen it to its full potential, which is a shame. Um, but just seeing that hint of like, oh, I, this this could be really cool um, gets me excited. Um, so maybe someday eventually... Uh, we'll see more Maria Hill. So anyway, uh, that went on for too long, but Maria Hill's awesome, so I don't regret it. <laughs> um, no regrets. Yeah. Is that the theme? Yep. Yep. And then the the little half point of extra credit that I gave it is for the uh, the mid credit scene where we see the Maximoff twins. I oh, love yeah. Scarlet Witch. I think she's she's probably one of my favorite characters in the MCU. So to get like her little introduction and just see it. That was one of the few mid credit scenes. Um, or end credit scenes, you know, any any kind of credit scenes where I was like, oh, I know those characters. I know where this is going because um, I was very familiar with X-Men growing up. Um, didn't read the comics, but saw a lot of the cartoons and stuff. So I'm like, oh, I don't know how they're going to fit them in because they're mutants and that's not something the MCU can do. So I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm excited. <laughs> um, and they didn't let me down for the most part. Um, at least not with Scarlet Witch. So so I was excited to see them in the end credit scene. And I still get kind of excited of like, oh, yeah. So, so yeah, that was my extra credit. 1.5 points total for those things. Um, so now that that's all wrapped up, uh, unless there's anything anybody wants to, to add at the end here, what was everybody's final scores? Mine came out to 69.33, which... I'm okay with that. I think a, like a solid 70. This is this exceeds expectations for me. All right, fair enough. I ended up at 81.93, which is outstanding, and I would agree. All right, and I uh, what a shock! I'm right in the middle again, putting <laughs> <laughs> a, a 73.17, uh, which exceeds expectations and is pretty solidly right in the middle of that category. Um, which, which, like you said, Tristan, about a 7 out of 10, a 70. Um, that seems about right. Do you have any regrets about this? 
I do not, surprisingly. Okay. No regrets. <laughs> Just wanted to double check. Yeah. All right. So that's going to wrap up our discussion of Captain America, The Winter Soldier. If you're interested in learning more about the Gritty Films grid rating system, be sure to check out grittyfilms.com slash the grid. And that's Gritty Films spelled G-R-I-D-D-Y. And uh, you can also check out our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash grittyfilms if you're interested in that. And if you could please like and, and review and share this, this podcast, that would be super appreciated and will help us get more listeners. And on that note, uh, be sure to stay tuned next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, in the interest of we'll be talking about Lost in Translation to celebrate its uh, 15th anniversary, which is coming up in October. Um, so that should be good. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. That should be a fun one. More Scarlett Johansson. And more Scarlett Johansson. And Moreau's Bill Murray. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's a good combination all around. Um, and then that's going to be leading up to uh, two weeks from now. Tristan and I will be back to talk about her, uh, which is said to be kind of a companion film to Lost in Translation, kind of Spike Jones's response to it. Um, so we'll be kind of doing a double feature-ish there. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that because uh, those are two of my favorite movies and uh, I, I've never thought of them as companion films before. So I think that's going to be pretty cool. So be sure to stay tuned for that and uh, we'll see you next time. Isn't her also have Scarlett Johansson?